Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to this week's edition of What the Health Just Happened, where we talk about all things healthcare. The good, the bad, the ups, the downs, the lefts, the rights, and everything in between. We also bring on a variety of business and community leaders and advocates to discuss all things life, healthy versus unhealthy. No question today's guest is a true community leader and advocate, and I'm willing to bet that today is a big combination of both healthy and unhealthy. And I'll get to that in a second, why it's both healthy and unhealthy. Thank you, 212, for sponsoring the show. I got to plug them because they pay for all of this get up, the studio, the cameras, et cetera. Just kidding. That's my company. We pay for that <laughs> um, amongst two other people. It doesn't matter. This is my first, second time guest. That's hard to say, right? It is hard to say. TJ Ward with Project Opioid, the actual title of your role. Let me make sure I get this straight. North Florida Director of Advocacy for Project Opioid with the Jacks Chamber. That's accurate. Did I, did I get yep. the title right? Yeah, it's a mouthful. The, the, intro, so. <laughs> the intros are hard. Last time, if you missed the first episode, it's available on podcast. But remember, this is a radio show that airs on 104.5 WOKV. Then we repurposed it on a podcast, and now we have cameras set up. I think you, you got it there. You can point at them, but gotcha. who knows who watches this anyways. You're upgrading. We're getting there. There were We're no cameras last time. And again, I asked you after the the first episode, did you enjoy yourself? Absolutely. I said, would you come back? You said, of course. So welcome back. You're the first second time guest. Truly an honor. You're welcome. Thank you for having us. I couldn't think of anyone better (laughs) to be the second time guest. All that said, right? So last time there's this roller coaster. We talk about the good, the bad, everything in between. What Project Opioid is doing is incredible. The problem that you're fighting, I would say, is is the bad, Mm -hmm. right? So, So again, just to Tell the audience, what is Project Opioid? What are they working on? How was it founded? And then, of course, your role, what you're doing, and how you're just popping radio show to radio show. Yeah. So Project Opioid <laughs> is a basically a collective impact model that brings together key leaders from different sectors across uh, different communities in the state of Florida and actually beyond now. So since we've talked, it, it's expanded uh, nationally, but it started in central Florida in the Orlando area. Our CEO, our founder, Andre Bailey, was having a conversation with Pat Garrity. You probably recognize that name. Everybody in Jacksonville CEO knows Pat of Garrity. Guidewell and yeah. Florida Blue. What was the CEO's name again for Project Opioid? Andre Bailey. Andre Bailey, okay. I'd like to yeah, write Yeah, so they down. were at a leadership event uh, just having a conversation. Andre had done some significant work with homelessness in the Central Florida area, was being honored for that. And so Pat said, hey, have you ever thought about taking that same framework and addressing the opioid epidemic? So they had a couple more conversations. Pat gave, Pat and the Florida Blue Foundation uh, gave a conservative amount of money to Andre to see if they could get something started and see if they could gain some momentum. And quickly it did. What year was that? That was back in 2018, 19. So, um, and then once it caught some momentum, uh, they expanded the funding to the tune of over $2 million to create Project Opioids in six different regions in Florida. So you had Central Florida, which is the headquarters. Uh, They had Project Opioids down in the South region, which would be Miami, West Palm Beach, and Fort Lauderdale. Southeast Florida. Yeah. Okay. And then there was one in Tampa. So, uh, And then, you know, we're up in in North Florida working to address basically the, the overall goal of Project Opioid is to help reduce overdose deaths. But that being said, we work across the entire spectrum of of this issue. So, so goal number one of Project Opioid is to decrease opioid deaths. Yes. Which, which is sad to even say that that's something that exists and is a reality, but that's the world we live in right now. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> what are some of the other projects you're working on? I know we'll get to the, you know, putting naloxone or nar- Narcon on the, Narcan on the streets. Sure. 
but decreased deaths, what else are like a big project of Project Opioid right now? I just so, said project like nine times. <laughs> if anyone heard that. That's okay. Yeah. So what we do is education awareness, um, high-level advocacy. We're doing uh, collaborations with organizations that already exist because we're not the only you know people doing this work by far. There are so many different nonprofits that have been uh, really passionate about this for a while before we even came on the scene. So we're working with all different sectors, you know, law enforcement, fire rescue, uh, health care, education, the faith community, the business community, which I know we're going to talk about yep. here in a minute. And one of the things I want to point out is I mentioned the Florida Blue Foundation. They funded and are funding. They're our sole funder here in North Florida, but they funded the entire Pro- Project Opioid uh, launch in the first few years of it. They're our sole funder. So we're funded by the Florida Blue Foundation, but we're facilitated through Jack's Chamber for a very specific reason. That was my is, next question is help me understand the ties to Jack's Chamber. Yeah. So to engage the business community. So all of the different sectors I mentioned um, had a uh, seat at the table. We're speaking into this other than we, we weren't seeing many from the faith community. And then we weren't seeing anybody really from the business community. And, f- and from our perspective, it's important, it's vital to have the business leaders yeah. in Jacksonville and all these regions involved because not only do they bring a platform to help spread awareness and educate people on what this looks like, but they also bring significant resources. And then perhaps most importantly to us, that, that kind of that gap that they fill is just a creative approach towards problem solving and thinking. Yeah. You know, you're an entrepreneur. Criti- yeah, critical thinking, yeah. outside the box stuff. Versus, innovative, yep. innovative type thoughts. So you've got all of the evidence-based stuff that has worked and is continuing to work, but then you also need um, to think creatively, innovatively in order to address all of the different stuff that's happening and, you know, the overdose deaths we're still seeing. Man, I, again, I hate talking about it. Last time we talked about, so so opioids, right, the, the issue i believe I couldn't write a book on this started with prescription drugs. Yep. Over prescribing. Over prescribing physicians maybe they knew or didn't know and were just over prescribing these medications. Yep. Now, right, twenty twenty three, what's the biggest cause of opioid overdoses? So you've got fentanyl, um, which, you know, is in everybody's drug of choice. And fentanyl, as you know, is a drug that's been used in hospitals by doctors for a long time to help with pain relief, yeah. specifically intense pain. Um, is being used illicitly um, and created by cartels. Synthetically. Uh, synthetically. Yeah, so synthetic uh, yeah. fentanyl that's coming into the country. Illegal synthetic fentanyl that people are, you know, utilizing in all times, all types of different uh, illegal drugs. Um, specifically, the thing that is driving the overdose crisis now, the current narrative is fake pills disguised as prescription meds. Oh, Things like Xanax, yep. Adderall, you know, oxycodone, um, just the, the things that you would imagine that people utilize for pain relief. And then when they overuse it and run out of it, they turn to the streets to purchase mm-hmm. it. And of course, that is not pure. You know, the stuff that's coming off the street almost always contains fentanyl and usually a lethal dose. You know, our friends over the DEA, uh, I want to say back in 2022, seized over 50 million pills off the streets. Out of those 50 million, they Is tested. This nationwide or the state of Florida? Nationwide. I was going to say, I bet Florida's got 40 but, million of it. But, but that's only the DEA. Think about all the other oh, law yeah. enforcement agencies. So this is massive, as you can imagine. But the DEA tested those pills, and six out of 10 of those contained a lethal dose of fentanyl. So oh, 
when people are purchasing drugs off the street, and by the way, they're doing it through social media. You know, a lot of that's yeah. coming through like Snapchat, TikTok, TikTok Instagram. Trey, Abby, you know about these <laughs> apps? I don't know. Trey's my age too. And we did, we can talk about this too, but we actually did a social media campaign to address the dangers of fentanyl over those platforms because of the sell of these drugs through the social media. And what we're seeing is, you know, like you and I could order something right now off Snapchat and in 15 minutes somebody would deliver it like DoorDash. You could walk downstairs, grab your pills, and chances so, are some of those would you one, know, contain that's, fentanyl. One, that's scary that, that there's the capability to yeah. do that. But two, I don't think you or I could do that because I don't you know how to use the <laughs> social media apps. I don't. Not that, to that degree, but I'm saying somebody like Abby or a young person that knows their way around some of these social media platforms, and that's what we're seeing with young people specifically, and that's why we ran that social media campaign. What was that, the age the age groups? I remember you talking about running It was that. 18 to 24, and because that was the, the specific demographic that you know we saw the greatest rise in overdose deaths, but that was about a year ago. So now we're seeing the, the greatest increase occurring between 14 to 18-year-olds. So we're talking about younger and younger mm. and younger. Talking about 10-year-olds that are overdosing, middle schoolers that have these illicit drugs in their lockers at school that are distributing them, and and kids 13 years of age are overdosing in middle school bathrooms. It's a huge issue. And so we have seen a decrease in some of our counties, but that doesn't mean it's over. You know, and that's that's the thing. We got to keep bringing awareness and make make people it never ends. I like make sure people understand specific numbers. You had mentioned a couple counties we'll get to. Yeah, Duval County is a big one. The big five: Nassau, Clay, Putnam. Yeah. Um, fentanyl specifically. So, so someone gets prescribed um, a pain medicine or even Xanax, whatever it is. They run out of that medication. They're going to go to a friend or a social media app and in say, hey, I'm, I'm, my prescription is out. I need to fill 10 days of it. Right. They're probably going to go to the street or somewhere else to get that, that medication, yeah. that drug. Well, they and, have to because there are now, you know, there's legislation in place that um, requires physicians to uh, get into, log into a database and record the prescriptions they're giving to people. So that's what cut back on the pill mill stuff and the overprescribing. Which is good. It's good. That's a win. It's a good. At the same time, you had so many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who were addicted to those opioids. And so when you take that away from them, they turn to a different drug, which at the time was heroin. It's not as much heroin anymore. Now it's more synthetic because it's cheaper. Or yeah, cheaper to make. It's easier to distribute. You don't have to grow anything. You can make it in a lab. So it's faster to you know, to create and distribute. Um, so it's just a, it's an economic thing. It's, it's always about money, isn't it? It is. Dang you drug cartels. Yeah. I don't like those guys. Other than Netflix shows. Have you watched those shows? Yeah. Those are pretty good shows. <laughs> um, pretty creative, but six accurate out of too. 10 yeah. pills, right? So that's, that's the other thing too. I, we, we talked about this. I don't know if you remember last time. Here's how I look at it. If you fill a prescription medication, that is the only medication you should be taking. If you get a pill from anyone else, I wouldn't take it because there is a 60% chance that that is laced with something else, increasingly fentanyl, which there's no way to, to understand the dose of fentanyl put in that medication. Right. Yeah, it only takes two milligrams to, to kill most people. And that's, <clears throat> that's like four grains of salt or what you could put on the tip of a pencil. Yeah. Um, so it doesn't take much. And that's, again, why why the cartels and the dealers and the distributors are using it because it's so cheap and it's potent 
And so oftentimes I get questioned the question, which it's a question I would ask as well. If this has such a, a high chance of, of killing people that take it, why do drug dealers lace their drugs with it? If they're going to kill off their customers. And the answer to that is um, if they don't kill them, then they have customers for life because of the intensity of that mm. drug. They'll keep coming back. And if they do kill them, they don't care because there's somebody else waiting. Waiting in line. Yep. Jeez. And there have been, we've heard stories of folks who bought, you know, these drugs and, and drug dealers are giving them, speaking of Narcan, Narcan and saying, don't do this drug alone. Do it with a friend. And if you fall out or overdose, have them, Here's your Narcan. Yeah, have them stick this Lord. in your nose because they know they'll keep coming back to them. It's a cash cow. I think, and again, I, I keep going back to the previous episode that I, as I'm driving in here, I'm like, man, I forgot about some of the stuff that we talked about. Now that we're in here, I do. Peter Atia, there's a, there's a doctor, Peter Atia does a show called The Drive. Very mm. intelligent doctor that talks about longevity and healthcare. He did an episode on the fentanyl ep- epidemic with a DEA agent in Texas. Just oh. a great, I mean, again, I, anyone who's curious about this space, how to stop it, how much it's affecting the entire United States, it's a great, great show to listen to. This is up there too. Yeah. Like Peter Atia is up gotta here, be right, up right there. after him, yeah. right? Under Joe Rogan. Yeah. <laughs> maybe. Maybe not. As far as amount of listeners, I'm That's sure. right. Yeah. That's right. We're right up there. Spotify, I'm waiting for my $50 million <laughs> check. So Project Opioids started a couple years ago, funded by Florida Blue initially. Yeah. The CEO, I guess two-part question here. Did he, was he impacted directly by opioids or he just was so successful in the homeless space that they approached him? And same question for you. What motivated you to be like, I'm, I'm in, I'm, I'm bought in. How can I support? Yeah. So I think the, the answer to that would be similar for both Andre and myself, um, because I've spoken with him about this in the beginning, when you don't understand the epidemic, you don't understand how far it reaches. You think, Oh, well, I haven't really been impacted by it. But then you start to understand everybody, no matter who we are, has been impacted in one way or another. I would say for me, for him, not a direct impact as far as like a close family member. I had a cousin maybe too removed that struggled with this and it was always an issue for him. I don't even know if he's still alive mm. or not, to be honest. Uh, chances are if he's you know dabbled with fentanyl, he might not be at this point. But what I do know is when Andre figured out how much of an impact this was having on his community and on the community uh, in the, you know, the state of Florida and then nationally, um, he became passionate about it. Similar for me. I didn't realize how this was hurting people until I started to meet family members who have lost loved ones, specifically kids. I say kids, young adults, my daughter's age. Yeah. I have a 24-year-old and a 21-year-old. So I have a 24-year-old named Daisy. Hi, Daisy. And then a 21-year-old named Whitney. Hi, Whitney. And so thank you for shouting them out. Um, but, you know, when you think about, and you're sitting with parents who've lost people the same age as your kids, then it becomes, okay, I'm going to do whatever that. I can to make sure that this ends here. At least, you know, we can at least, you know, stop as many overdose deaths as we can. So that's, that's kind of my personal, um, you know, connection to it to date yeah connection to it but i just love people i care about people and just want to help people as as much as i possibly can uh abby and i were looking at this um for a presentation we did recently here in duval county uh just this past year we we lost a little over uh, 
600 people to overdose deaths. 600 people in Duval County in the last 12 months. Yeah. That was 2022. So the year 2022. Um, We don't know the numbers this year yet. And that's CDC data, um, I believe. So it could be more? It was like... It was a little less, I should say. It was about 5.15 instead of 6. But, you know, now that I'm thinking about it, 5.15 is way too many. But the the thing I was going to say is, you know, we have an issue with homicides as well here in Jacksonville. And so that's something you hear about constantly. And, you know, I think Sheriff Waters is doing a great job, you know, with his team to to try to, you know, prevent those from occurring. Um, But the stat for the same time period for homicides was like 166. I'm going to so, pause for a second yeah. just to, to reiterate these numbers. You Five, said 515. That's fine. So, Again, you, you're, yeah. you're 515, 600, those are, those are not great numbers. Right. But homicides in the same geographical area were what, 115? 166. 166. Which is significant, and it's a lot, but <clears throat> it's, comparatively speaking. It's, it's terrible. They're both terrible. Yeah. But that's the reason I think conversations like this help and go a long way because this is affecting what? almost four times the number of people. Yeah. Man. And, Every and, time you come on here, you get me depressed. <laughs> I came in here in a great Well, here's the good uh, news. Okay, so okay. I mentioned law enforcement, yes. and, and we partner with JSO, who's doing a tremendous job. They're even increasing their approach towards this, and, and the uh, team that they have, they're growing it because it's such an issue, and so they're doing great work. The DEA is doing great work. It's just almost impossible to stop it completely. Sometimes that's another question we get. Why, why don't they just keep it from coming through You know, the border? Well, how it's so easy to smuggle because it's such a, a you know small amount can do so much damage so it's virtually impossible to detect and they are still even so doing great work in all of the counties that we're working in we've seen busts in clay st john's nassau of course duval um even in putnam county some of the the more rural areas does it seeing, come in fentanyl specifically is it coming in as, as a powder form it's like synthetic, little, and then it's getting mixed here yeah. with with other Little and little granule. Um, it's just coming in as a powder form, and then it's getting. And then people, as, you'll see, you know, people even have pill presses in their homes yeah. where they can create, you know, what looks like a Xanax or like an Adderall, and they're utilizing maybe something like baking soda in yeah. addition to. And the other thing I'll say is, almost almost all the drugs that are confiscated contain more than one drug. So it could be cocaine and fentanyl, or it's what we call poly drug yep. situation. You know, Poly meth- means more than one. For yeah, methamphetamine, you know, and and fentanyl or whatever, whatever drug of choice, even marijuana at this point, people are, you know, putting it in vapes. And, oh, in the pens. Mm-hmm. Oh, geez, man, that's everywhere. Yeah. Okay, let's let's lift up because there's. I mean, again, we've got a few minutes left in the first half. Want to talk about the prevention-minded recovery support workplaces? <clears throat> Opioids in the body. So just the, not the clinical component, but let's, let's hit on Narcan a couple times. Sure. So an opioid, let's use fentanyl for an example and insert any opioid you want. Affects the body, it goes in your receptors, depresses your central nervous system. Usually the way that people pass away is their respiratory system just shuts off. Yep. So Narcan or naloxone is the, the biggest counter, counter drug for it. Right. What is Project Opioid doing in that world? So we are fortunate to partner with so many great organizations um, that are really boots on the ground distributing the naloxone and the Narcan, uh, we can help them get access to it. So Abby and I aren't really out there, you know, spreading it. Uh, sometimes at the events we're, we're going to talk about, we are able to get, you know, a few hundred um, 
kits out to people. Uh, but we have other organizations we partner with that are doing an incredible job of, of distributing that. Some of the prevention coalitions in all the different counties we work in, you know, Jacksonville Fire Rescue has a program that's doing that in some of the most vulnerable places. So really people coming together. And that's another thing that I would mention that's a key to really addressing this is collaboration, like bringing organizations together that either we're working in silos and not because they don't like each other. It's just because they're so passionate about the work they're doing. They have their head down, they're doing, and they don't have time to network or figure out who else is doing what. And that's really the gap that we fill as Project Opioid is knowing who's doing what and how people can work together and connecting them together so they can collaborate. Collaboration, yep. where's there a gap? Yeah. And you said a couple times too, I, I always have called it Narcan. That's just naloxone. There's some other medications out there too, but Narcan's the name brand yeah. for, you know. It's like Tylenol naloxone. versus acetaminophen, yeah, yeah. right? Ones that, yeah. Um, getting that out, educating, being an advocate for the community. So a lot of really good stuff. Then you said last year, what's, there was a decrease, which again, it's, yeah. let's talk numbers, decrease. So in Duval County, we saw about a 3% decrease depending on whose numbers you use. We like to use CDC numbers just yep. for consistency's sake. Um, in some of the other counties, for instance, in, in Orlando area where Project Opioid is headquartered and originated, they just did a press conference and did a report where they saw in Seminole and Orange County, both of those saw a little over 11% decrease in overdose deaths, which is massive. That's I a mean, win. That's, that's a, that's a huge win. win. I think um, 3% is not, we also have three minutes left, by the way, we'll hold that up. 3% is, you hear that and some people are like, well, that's that's not great. Why is it not great? That's well, 3% yeah, decrease well, in over, overdoses, that's worth celebrating. I when think. you talk about a county like Duval County that has so many people, that's a huge yeah. you know, win. I mean, that's a lot of lives that have been you know, saved as a result of people coming together and getting that stuff, those resources into people's hands and I think teaching them how I think to it's use safe it. to say that Project Opioid and you and Abby and anyone involved in this is part of that. So like, thank you and oh, yeah, thank anyone you. involved in that organization. It's an That's, honor. It's a privilege to work with so many great, <laughs> great partnerships that, you know, are really yeah. passionate about making this happen. We're coming up on the commercial break here for the radio show on the podcast. There's no commercial breaks. Right. So it's real awkward. It just rolls into no commercial break. <laughs> I might plug one in there. Uh, TJ Ward, Project Opioid. We've got Trey filming stuff in the corner, Lowell Productions. Abby's hiding in the corner. I like to yell at people that are just coming back there. <laughs> but good first half. Definitely let's hit the, the business stuff on the second half. Sure. Um, maybe some fun talk about Jacksonville and football if you're okay f- with it. Yeah, absolutely. Because okay. I'm like ride or die Jacksonville this year. Yeah, go Jags. And last week they kind of let me down. Well, we're optimistic, though, right? Thank you. I am a toxic <laughs> optimist. That's what my wife calls me. She's like, yeah. you're too optimistic. We might be the most optimistic fan base in the entire NFL. We've got to be. And we have there. reason to be. We've got, I mean. We've got to be up there with year after year. We've got the best quarterback. Up. You know, we got Ridley. Oh, man. I can't wait. I, yeah. We'll hit that, too. But a lot more stuff, Project Opioid. TJ Ward, thanks uh, for joining me so far. Yeah, I'm excited, and also I get a little nervous talking about this topic because it's not easy to talk about, but it's Project Opioid. That's what the health just happened. That was my phone. All right, welcome back to the second half of What the Health Just Happened. If you missed the first half, good news is the show will be available on all your favorite podcast platforms. What are they, Apple, Spotify? I don't even know. iHeartRadio, I can't keep track. There's like 800 podcast platforms. First half, TJ Ward with Project Opioid. Talked about a lot of stuff. Um, 
treatments for for overdosing, how you guys started, how you were founded, including the Florida Blue Foundation starting you and the owner in Central Florida, Orlando area specifically. Who's involved in in really pushing this mission that you guys are working on? I think we're going to talk a lot about that, especially in the business sector. We did have some Jaguar talk. Yeah. I have to throw it in there because I did. I'm, I'm very casual today. I got the Jags head on and the fire helmet because I appreciate our firefighters. Oh my! Especially goodness. that battle against opioid yeah. overdoses. Yeah, I mean right? they're going front line. on calls all the time. Front line helping bring people yeah. back. Yeah. So we're one and one. Right? right, first game. This and again, this will show you what time of year it is. First game, we beat the Colts away. Second game, home against Kansas City. Did you go to that game? I did not. So I, I watched went. It, but I, I went with with my son, two other dads, and their sons. Cool. It was a hundred degrees in the stadium. <laughs> I'm not. Kidding. It was like a hundred degrees yeah, was, in the stands. It was 120 on the, on the field, field. They showed. It was unbearable. So. I had to keep taking the kids in there and watch it, and then of course we took it. We took a loss, but it happens. Predictions before we dive a little bit further deep into what you're working on here. What happens this weekend against Houston? I mean, I, I'm going to say that we win. 45 to zero. I'm I gonna, totally I'm agree with you. I'm going to say that we win fairly big. <laughs> uh, but as long as we win, it doesn't I, matter I'm what agree. the score is, right? Especially in the NFL, it's like wins a win. A win's but, a win. Uh, I, we, we definitely have – we didn't play to our potential last week. Um, but I think they rebound and, and put a, a solid game together. Is the Jaguar Foundation tied to Project Opioid at all, or we have connected with them? They haven't, um, you know, been a huge part of what we do, but not because they don't want to. It's just because they're doing so many other good yeah, things, and it just depends on when you, you know, connect with people. What Sometimes you're in the middle of the grant cycles, and yep. so. Um, but I did attend their their fundraiser, which was an amazing event. Okay, and they're doing great work through different partnerships in the community. So I I can foresee it will you know, happen something. Uh, collaboration occurring in the future. Florida Blue is a big one. Jack's Florida Chamber. Blue for us. Florida Blue funds us solely. That's that's one hundred percent. Yeah, for us in North Florida. Some okay. of the other regions have different funding sources as well. But um, Susan Toller over there at the foundation. Yep. Do you know Susan, yep. the CEO? She's amazing. Um, Carly Ebrio, um, and then uh, Sharon. <laughs> I love. He looks so. I'm, for I'm thinking of her last name. It's Hackney. It, it, I didn't want to mispronounce it. Um, Sharon Hackney, who um, is kind of new to, to us with that, but um, they, that team is amazing. Darnell Smith. I know Darnell. you know Darnell. Everybody knows Darnell. He's the reason that Project Opioid, you know, came to Jacksonville through the chamber. So he, he was a big part. Of he was a big part of getting making that happen, along with Susan. You know, obviously putting the money towards it. And I think Darnell's like a, a pseudo mayor for the city of Jacksonville. Oh yeah. Okay. Everybody knows Darnell. Every single human knows him. And here's the thing. As, as busy as he is, he's- Darnell, just, feel free to come on what the hell just happened, by the way. <laughs> he should. He would be a VIP oh, guest. Great. Yeah. Great. But as busy as he is, he has a significant investment in, yep. in this particular project. And we get to talk to him once a month, a standing meeting, and he's very engaged in what are we doing? You know, how are we approaching different things? So um, this is important work to him as well. So again, Project Opioid- <laughs> The number one goal is to decrease deaths from overdoses, right? Yeah. A lot of other things you're working on. Buy-in from the fire departments, the police departments, churches are a big, the faith community is a big one. Yep. The Jack's Chamber is obviously a huge one. Let's talk specifically about getting more and more businesses involved with this. Right. So, right, prevention-minded, recovery-supportive workplaces. Yes. So, uh, as you know, um, 
again, you're an entrepreneur and you know how difficult it can be, especially in the wake of 2020 when everything kind of came to a screeching halt. <laughs> you have especially small business. Some of them are still very um, intentional about, you know, getting back on their feet, getting to a place that they were prior to pandemic. And so uh, the reason I say that is because when people in the business sector here, you know, we want to help you create prevention-minded recovery supportive workplaces, they think, that's just one more thing. It's not that it's not important. It's just maybe I don't have the bandwidth or capacity it's project. for it. It's another project. Yeah. Yep. So we try to make it as easy as possible for them to be a part of, of creating change for this issue. And so we um, have created an opportunity. It's, it's what we call a toolkit. And the thing I love the most about it because um, I didn't create it, I've helped develop it since I got involved. But you it can was, t- take credit. There for was it. already <laughs> there was already a, a great product in place, um, and the thing I liked most about it, which is one of the reasons we engaged in it, um, was that it's it's flexible. It's not like a set in stone thing. It's you know what does your business look like? What can you do right now at this moment? Everybody can do something. So help let us help you implement something, be a part of some type of change or solution when it comes to this overdose crisis. So every business, whether it's small, you know, the smallest mom and pop all the way up to the largest corporation can do something. And many businesses can do significant work when it comes to this. And I think they probably don't realize how much it impacts the workforce or else maybe it would be a little bit more of a priority. Uh, But we understand, especially for small business, They've got their hands full just trying to keep the doors open and keep the lights on. So we just want to help support them and not create more stuff for them to do, but come alongside them and really kind of take care of of a lot of the legwork for them. I think every company, small and large, needs to have at least one, preferably more, ways to give back to the community. Sure. And how many ways can you do that? I, I think you give back time or you give back money. Yeah. I don't do you agree or disagree. Yeah. You volunteer or you, so you help what, fund stuff. Or this both. example, or both, if you if you have both. So what's easy about? It? I mean, are are there opportunities for businesses to volunteer time? And again, we let's plug the link, get some sure. funding coming in if we can. But how, how how can they get back? So let's let's talk about the why real quick. I, yeah. I don't think people understand that. And this is a stat on the one pager that we gave to you. Um, but approximately seventy five percent of the estimated almost sixty million Americans who used an illegal drug in twenty twenty. Were employed. Okay, I'm going to go read back. That. Yeah, I'm going to read that again slow. Approximately 75 percent of the estimated 59.3 million Americans who used illegal drugs in 2020 were employed. 60 million people. We'll just round up. 70 percent of those were working. Yeah, either so full time or part time. So I'm looking at you in this building. 70 <laughs> percent of the people in this building. Okay, yeah, that's that's wild. So and you know a lot of them are able to function, you know, fairly effectively. And again, this, you know, the stigma around this is, oh, it's just the down and out person that's struggling with this issue. No, it's the CEO sometimes. It's the, you know, the manager over the department. Yeah, um, the it's sales team. The sale. it's anybody. Yep. And so, you know. The camera guy. <laughs> I was going to say, we don't need to be suspicious <laughs> of everybody that we're working with, but the truth of the matter is, you know, people could be misusing, either using an illegal drug that they bought, you know, off the streets or misusing a prescription that they have access to it. And, and think about the ramifications of that, how that impacts 
Can I read this one? Like, go ahead. I like, I yeah, like read, numbers here. This is on one page or yeah. we can share this, put out there. The cost reported by the Congressional Commission, $1.5 trillion hits U.S. employers in healthcare, workers' comp, turnover, but the single biggest impact, loss of productivity in people. Yeah. So $1.5 trillion. That's with a T. I mean, that's, yeah, that's trillion. scary. Could I'm sure there's much more detailed facts behind this, but just for simple purposes, the, the impact that has financially is $1.5 trillion yeah. from again, drug usage, overdose, uh, overdoses, lost time and productivity. That's a big number. It Jeez. is. But, and, and so that's massive, and it seems out of touch, out of reach. But if you kind of get it down to a granular level, we know that, and this is also in the one-pager, effective prevention could save an estimated $18 per every dollar that an employer invests. It could save them 18 when it comes to helping people in recovery. So you could save $8,500 <laughs> per employee because Man. this issue is the most expensive driver related to healthcare costs for businesses. And that's the thing that most people don't know too, substance use disorder, whether alcoholism or any say, other we could, substance. We could talk about this for, for 40 minutes. It's I, the I most expensive healthcare here. issue for employers. Time, time missed from, again, hangovers, DUIs, any of it. It's a lot more than people realize. Yeah. And, and we talked about COVID briefly. I try not to talk about COVID. Did we say this? Do you ever read the Harry Potter books? No. Your kids ever read it? Uh, so the bad guy's name is Voldemort, and that's what I call That's what COVID. you call like the, the, the... The pandemic that will not be named. I always say <laughs> that. But it's, it's relevant. That's what time we are. How much has consumption gone up? I mean, forget alcohol or, or usage of illicit drugs since COVID. Oh, it's, it's gone up. I don't, know, even think astronomically. The, I don't even think the numbers are out yet. Well, you think about it. If you have, you've got people that, you know, a lot of people were forced to work virtually. You don't know what's in a cup when somebody's oh, yeah, <laughs> sitting at home on a camera. I mean, you can see what their, you know, how their actions are, but we know for sure that alcoholism went up. And then also you got to think about, this is all a mental health crisis. So it just plays itself out through substances yes. or for some people it's through gambling or sex addiction or, you know, whatever the case may be, but this is a mental health issue. And so, you know, that's another thing that, and I'm sure, you know, we could go on and on for yes. several more podcasts about this. Every but, time it's like, oh man, we could talk about this for the next. But the, yeah. the mental health, the co-occurring mental health substance use, um, they go hand in hand, you know, mental health. A lot of people are just trying to cope with the trauma they experienced at some point in their life or, you know, the, the way that, they were isolated during that thing that we don't want to name, you know, or Voldemort. Yeah. That's I mean, COVID, by the way, I should say so no that, that. that we started seeing an increase in overdose deaths prior to the pandemic, but it really skyrocketed as a result of just overdose. People, people couldn't get to the treatment they, they were used to having. People were isolated. So people were using drugs by themselves. They didn't have anybody with them that if they did overdose, somebody could put Narcan in their nose and bring them back. So you had, at just a skyrocketing increase of you know overdose it's like a deaths during snowball that time. effect too yeah and then it's like what came first the chicken or the egg if you have mental health issues and you're using whatever the substance is it, it doesn't help the issue. yeah well there's a stat that um that is significant it's either one out of five or two out of five depending on who you you know where, where you get your stat from um folks that suffer with a mental illness also use substances. But if you flip that on its head, almost 100%, I would say 100% of people who 
suffer from a substance use disorder also have a co-occurring mental health issue or else they wouldn't use a substance yeah, to try say, to cope. Say, right? I can't don't this isn't I mean isn't all of us here, but I would say 100%. Yeah. It's about 75 to 80% diagnosed. Yeah. Man. But if, you know, if you think about the people that aren't diagnosed, they're not nobody sets out to destroy their life intentionally or very few people we yeah. should say. So they're just trying to cope. And when they get that Xanax off the street, you know, they don't know it's laced with fentanyl and it kills them because they're trying to escape whatever reality they're dealing mm. with. Man. It's a multi-level, like multifaceted complex issue that has to be addressed. And not easy to talk about. That's another thing. I think people, let's, I almost want to go back, let's go back to the, the business yeah. part too, because people, it's not easy to talk about. This is yeah. not like, hey, let's go read books to, to kids in, in, rough neighborhoods or let's build a playground so they can play on it's like this is this is life or death yeah. man and that's not that's not an easy topic to discuss yeah so another i think analogy that puts this in perspective so last you know 2022 we lost over 110,000 people to overdose deaths in America um if you think about it that's like a Boeing 777 which has a little over 300 seats in it that's like one of those planes crashing every single day with no survivors, 365 days out of the year. Think about what would happen if that was the case, right? We would stop Delta everything. would be shut down, yeah, yeah. And we would consider it a state of emergency, and rightfully so. You know, if, if we have one plane crash and, and no survivors, we, you know, everything gets halted. That particular model of plane gets grounded, doesn't get used. So 110,000, that's like one of those planes with 300 passengers crashing every single day with no survivors for an entire year. That that's is, what we had with overdose deaths in 2022. That is simultaneously a great metaphor and analogy and also really- It's depressing. Like, <laughs> like bad. Yeah. And, and haunting. I might have nightmares tonight. Thank you for giving me nightmares yeah. tonight. But that's well, just and those me. aren't, and here's the other thing, man. <laughs> They're not people outside of our community. I mean, Abby and I have sat with dozens of parents, and this is their reality. It's not, oh, this is happening somewhere else. No, yep. it's happening everywhere. And we're not even talking about people that overdose. We're talking about the people that overdosed and died. And I'll say this, and I firmly believe statistics, we can make them say whatever we want, right? Of course. This is probably one of the only underreported stats, you know, when it comes to this, this issue. deaths? Yeah, especially during the pandemic, because you had oh, so man. many people that were dying and a lot of times it was just chalked up to COVID. 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 You could say COVID. COVID. But a lot of those were probably. Yeah, that's, that's a different, that's a difficult can to open right there. Yeah. Because I'll get in trouble if I say something. Well, I'm not right. trying to be insensitive at all. Uh, I'm just trying to I, point to the fact that this is an issue. And sometimes people think, oh, this doesn't happen in my backyard. This could never happen <laughs> to my family or my kids. And it's happening every single day. And a lot of the parents, in fact, the overwhelming majority of the parents we sit with are people that have resources and they're involved with their kids' lives and they have the means to get them help. It's just this disease, which is what it is, rewires people's brains to the point that they have to have it. They become somebody they never intended to be. It's totally different than who they were. And sometimes people think, oh, this is just a moral failure. And I think we talked about this a little bit last time. What can the average person do? Well, you can get Narcan training you know, you can understand how to address an overdose. If you see somebody, you can use Narcan to bring them back. 
But everybody can show compassion to people who are struggling. Everybody can oh, show okay. a measure of grace that maybe they don't necessarily feel like showing <clears throat> because that. they don't understand it. But just realize these people don't want to ruin their lives. They struggle with this because there's things in their body that aren't well, you know, and or, if we could show a little more compassion, it would go a long way. We should have talked about that the whole time. <laughs> but no, I mean, going back to that, what, what can, what can we do? And, and this is ideally a lighthearted show and it, I want it to be uplifting and spread the word on whatever we're working on. This is not an easy topic to talk no. about. So this, this is serious stuff. I think that's the most important thing that I take out of it. That's every time I sit down, I'm like, what, what can I selfishly, am I going to take out of this? And it's a reminder, if you can do nothing else, it's like be compassionate for the people that are, that yeah. are having these issues, right. especially because like you said, the majority of them, they, they didn't want this. They didn't, they didn't make these choices. And sometimes people make those choices. You know, they make that decision. Is a must. Yeah. They make that decision the first time, but then after that. It's easy to get hooked to it. Yeah. Here's a random question. You know what a AED is, an automated uh, external defibrillator? Mm-hmm. So most buildings now, if someone has CPR, who in this room's CPR certified? Random question. Just me? Oh, man. By the way, that's an easy... I feel like a bad citizen No, right it's, now. <laughs> it's very, it's, it's, again, very easy access, inexpensive, and it's not difficult. And right. I think people struggle like, well, I'm not going to give mouth to mouth. The biggest thing is chest compressions. But most buildings and organizations now have an AED, an automated yep. external defibrillator. What about Narcan? And this sounds messed up, but in this building, this Cox Media building, there's got to be 150 people in here. I'm not trying to call it Cox Media, but I bet you someone in here is on opioids right now. Sure. Without a doubt. That's another thing. Like big organizations, like this is messed up, but here's some Narcan to keep in the building. And, just in case. And we can get that in your hands if, if you want to be one of the, the first ones to help, you know. I know that's a management thing where we're happy to yeah. talk to them about that. No one wants to be like, well, not in my building. But the other, the other thing that's simple that you mentioned with AED, you could just put Narcan with Next your AED. Some of the school systems, we, um, some of our other regions, you know, our counterparts in different regions of the state, they have been able to um, create an opportunity within schools specifically to take that Narcan, put it in the AED device, and those specific ones they have, when you open it, there's an alarm that sounds. So you can, you know, pull the Narcan out and people know this is an emergency. Yeah. They also, you know, we're hoping to be able to do some of this as well. And we've done it in some of our school, uh, but just not across the, the school system. Um, although a lot of the personnel have been trained, uh, thanks to the efforts of an organization called Drug Free Duval. That's oh, one of our that partner organizations. Yeah. That's who we partner with on the the toolkit. The and we didn't even talk about how we got involved with that, but they're the ones that helped. You know, that really kind of led the way in creating this toolkit for the businesses. But because of them, there you know all of the personnel in the school public school system have been trained: principals, vice principals, school resource officers, nurses, you know, health uh, coaches, the coaches. So they're trained in Narcan and and you know getting it distributed. Uh, even more so throughout the schools is a priority for us coming up, you know, in the in the next year. But yeah, the, this you you asked how can we yes. know, be a part of solution? Well, specifically if you're a business owner, there are things we can do such as trainings that are very like low impact for them. We do the heavy lifting where we can coordinate the trainings, provide Narcan free of charge. They don't have to pay for it. We've got the resources to provide this free to businesses. Uh, we can come up with strategies that will help them uh, and their employees rethink what it looks like to store medicine on site because those things need to be locked up. 
Um, we also can help with evaluating their specific um, you know, policies that they have in place. We have surveys that we can uh, share with both the employer and the employees to see if people are on the same page when it comes to this issue. Like, what is probably your policy? Not. Yeah, yeah, probably what not. What is your policy related to this? Do you know, you know, the different aspects of it, um, which, as you mentioned, oftentimes, you know, there's a disconnect. And then another thing we can do is really sort of certify somebody within the organization to be the champion for the prevention-minded recovery supportive workplace. So there's certifications uh, that we can help them go through uh, to get the knowledge they need to kind of be that point of contact in their business or their organization. There, there's again, there's every single time. There's so much more we can talk about and hit on. I don't love time because it runs out every right. single time, right? The other thing I wanted to bring up and just plug real quick too. What's the date today? I don't even know. It's a good question. The twentieth. Oh, oh, it's Saturday. Whatever today, Saturday is when airs in the air. I'm kidding. Next, <laughs> so again, just to get a video clip to you're you're talking. There's a a virtual event. What's the fix for the overdose crisis? That's September 26th at 1 p.m., right? Yep. And, and we can share that link out too, but what absolutely. is that event? What does it consist of? Who's it for? So Project Opioid will do webinars uh, on an ongoing basis to really help educate um, the community. Uh, when I say the community, it's anybody um, that is interested in this topic. They can register for it free of charge, um, and we'll talk about some of the ways that they can be a part of the solution to ending overdose or to really helping reduce overdose deaths. And, uh, and so that's going to be a, a free webinar um, that they can access. You just have to sign up for it, and they'll get a link to their email. Uh, okay. Anything else you want to you plug before we run out of time? Because we always run out of time. How much time do we have? Two minutes. Two minutes. Yeah. So we have a community overdose awareness seminar coming up yes. in St. John's County, and this will be the eighth one we've done. We've done these in uh, several of the other counties we work in. Um, it's a way to bring the community together and, and help them understand the current narrative of the overdose crisis, specifically what it looks like in their context. The other thing we want to do is connect them to resources and treatment providers in their community that they have access to, either if they're struggling or maybe it's somebody that they care about who's struggling. They know where to get the help. So we'll have about 30 organizations usually come table at the event and share their information. November 16th, right? Yes. That's what I think and I then the other time. thing that we do as a part of that event is Narcan training. So okay. everybody that attends will leave with a kit of Narcan. They know exactly how to use it. And our hope is that they'll carry it. And if they come across somebody that they think is experiencing an overdose, that they'll utilize that because there's no liability associated with it. That's another thing we probably should mention. There's a good the Samaritan time, law that, you know, that um, protects people that are using and if you do use it and they're not overdosing, it can't hurt them. It it's can only not, help yeah. them. You're not going to so. hurt someone by trying to administer Narcan if they're not overdosing. Right. Well, once again, we ran out of time every single time. We didn't get to do healthy or not healthy. No. Has anyone ever called you TJ Watt instead of TJ Ward? No, but Dude, I wish I was making yeah, that jacked, amount of money. Man. He's pretty swamped. <laughs> yeah, me too. Um, TJ Ward, Project Opioid, a lot of great information. Some big events coming up, including November 16th in St. John's County. There's a big event. September 26th is a virtual event. And again, we can share links to these. Nope. Maybe use the video stuff. The, the specific pre prevention-minded recovery support workplaces, trying to get businesses more involved, obviously in the community, but with yeah. Project Opioid specifically and what we can do to decrease deaths, man. Yeah. I can say it, but that's just... It's like artificial intelligence. You can fight it. You cannot, you don't believe in it. It's not right. real, but, but it's, it's happening it's, and it's, ha you know, it's going on. Yeah. So 
So if people want to connect with that, they can just uh, reach out through the chamber. Um, Abby and I are chamber employees, and we have offices there at Jack's Chamber. But my email address is tj.ward at jackschamber.com. If they can't remember that, they can just reach out through Jack's Chamber. tj.ward at jackschamber.com. Yep. Again, a ton of ton of stuff online, too, that I'm happy to share. But thanks for joining once again. Thanks for having You're me. You going to come back a third time? I would love to. Oh, man. Let's do it. We may have to like talk about a different topic, though, because you've yeah. That airplane analogy about made me cry over here. I know. But it's a reality. It's reality. And every number that we put out there, that's an individual life that's been impacted. And then family members, right. friends, coworkers, it's a ripple effect. You can come back just anytime massive. you want, man. Yeah. I appreciate you joining. TJ Ward, Project Opioid. That's what the health just happened. 